Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, we're going to continue with this uh, theme or this mini-series on property horror stories, uh, this time focusing on property deal sources. And these cases are all genuine, real-life situations Some are based on my own experiences, whilst others are based on people close to me or I'm familiar with, if you like. They could well shock you (laughs) and indeed put you off to some extent. Although keep in mind that these are the deals and projects that have gone particularly badly. So they are hopefully the extreme cases as well. And we're going to conclude the episode by looking at some practical ways in which we can protect ourselves when dealing with property deal sources. So some good can come out of other people's bad experiences too. Okay, let's dive into these horror stories right now then. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. I regularly see or am presented with potential projects from property sources falling under at least the following categories. Of course, we've got the apparently below market value or BMV opportunities. We've got potentially highly profitable flips, so-called high yield buy to lets, no or low cash left in BRR projects by refurbished refinance that is development and conversion projects with big profit potential, rent-to-rent deals with next-to-no cash required, serviced accommodation opportunities with over a £1,000 a month cash flow per property, portfolios and apartment blocks for sale, all off-market of course, and then holiday homes, fractional ownership and other timeshare style opportunities. And finally, overseas property deals in most of all of the above categories as well. Basically, all shapes and sizes and more besides, no doubt. But perhaps to put things into a little context, I'm probably connected with around 150 or more active property uh, property deal sources. Some are solo operators, whilst others are formal businesses set up for the specific purpose of finding property deals for property investors in larger volume. And they do or can offer a very useful service, especially to the more hands-off or time-poor property investors and developers. Whilst I do not deal with all of those that I'm connected to, the 150-odd, I have probably seen potential projects for many of them and indeed have uh, successfully collaborated with a small number of them on several dozen projects over the years. And when it comes to dealing with property sources, I would say there are probably two major types of issue to look out for. The first one revolves around their values, ethics and character. And the second one revolves around commercial and legal matters. And notice that I placed the non-commercial aspects first. Just watch out for those fakers though that I've been speaking about in recent weeks. Uh, you know, just keep that in mind. 
Um, but as we progress, uh, always make sure that the commercial or legal protection backs up the stated values, ethics, and character, just to be safe. Okay, so let's dive into some specific uh, property horror story case studies now. Uh, the first of four is uh, overseas property sourcing triangle, I'm going to call it. I, um, I have property investment and development interests in four different countries, as I may have mentioned more than once. And uh, one of the ways to help me locate overseas opportunities is by utilizing the services of locally connected property deal sources and equivalent. And one such operator that I started a dialogue with was finding bank developer and vendor finance projects in Spain. High loan-to-value bank and developer finance opportunities were still available in Spain um, until, I mean, and still are actually available in Spain after the clear-out from the global financial crisis, although it's, it's, there's less of a deal flow now than there clearly was in around about 2010, for example. The Spanish-based sourcer was, uh, sorry, that introduced a 100% bank-funded property deal to me failed to disclose that there were in fact three agents, three separate agents in the chain before the developer slash bank owning the property. The, this property also turned out to be 10 years old. Again, not fully disclosed. Instead, I was told that it was a new build development that had been repossessed. Do you see how that was spun there? It was, it was still the truth, but not the whole truth, if you like. The Spanish sourcer did know of uh, one of the connected sourcing agents in the UK and explained that sometimes one source has the client or developer contact, sorry, sorry, the client contact, whilst the other has the developer contact. So they often team up, which, which kind of makes sense. However, the Spanish sourcer later claimed that he was not aware of a third sourcer in the chain who ultimately became problematic to deal with. This third UK-based sourcer had promised the 100% financing, which never seemed to arrive. Then they simply left me abandoned on day two of an overseas viewing trip in Spain and tried to argue out of returning my reservation fee when I decided to withdraw from the project. The Spanish-based director of this third sourcer, it's getting complicated, isn't it? Uh, that left me stranded on that second, uh, second day of the viewing trip also offered to pay my taxi fare to the airport because he was going to take me, essentially. Um, he didn't really leave, leave an explanation for leaving me stranded, but uh, I did later find out what the reason was, and we have kind of had a conversation uh, to, to understand one another. However, the managing director of the company simply reneged on this promise from one of his directors to honour this simple commitment to pay for a taxi fare. And but for the fact that I had negotiated a return fee clause to be written into the reservation uh, fee agreement in advance, I would literally have been screwed on that as well, I fully expect. And the reason I can say that is because of the behaviour that I experienced from this particular uh, individual and sourcer. But fortunately, due to the way that negotiated the reservation fee, along with the fact that they know I have a wide audience reach, they did refund me my approximate £10,000 reservation fee. However, rather belligerently, they blindly refused to compensate me for the additional travel costs that I had incurred due to them leaving me stranded, which of course includes the taxi fare I mentioned. And since then, I've literally been subject to threats, intimidation, 
false accusation and being slapped with a bogus and unsubstantiated invoice for over £18,000 for daring to claim for the refund of the promised €90 taxi fare by the uh, MD of this third sorter. So, would you want to deal with such a bully like this, I wonder? I certainly don't. But if you contrast this property sourcer, this particular one, uh, described here, um, with, with a different uh, solo property source that I have dealt with in the UK, where there was a, a little bit of a similar situation, I suppose, the, um, the HMO properties that I was viewing on behalf and, and, and reviewing on behalf of a client were in a portfolio that this so, uh, solo property sourcer was offering. Sadly, though, they were not as described. And to be fair to the sourcer, um, he had not seen all of the uh, properties in the portfolio personally. He was selling them on block. He'd seen some of them as a sample, but not all of them. And so uh, when it became apparent uh, through photographic evidence and just my reports of uh, the descriptions of the properties versus the reality, um, he, he had no quibble whatsoever in um, accepting the discrepancy and just returning the, the sourcing fee as we'd previously agreed. Um, so as good as his word, in other words. And the moral of the story then is when it comes to overseas property deals, not all that glistens is gold. Case study two then. This is a case of a, a leading UK property sourcing company. You might have heard of them. And this was a client case that I assisted with where unfortunately the deal broke down. But luckily, I had recommended that the client, my client, negotiate a return fee in their reservation uh, fee agreement with the deal sourcer, uh, which fortunately proved to be priceless. However, it still took over six months, literally dozens of chasing emails and calls with lots of failed promises before finally uh, the fee was, uh, the, sorry, the agreed fee and contractually agreed fee was indeed returned. And in fact, it was only after multiple threats of escalation uh, from my client that I finally contacted their MD personally, on behalf of the client, of course. Um, and sometimes the weight of the audience of 22,000 odd property investors has some clout. So finally, the client did receive the return of their fee, which was indeed fully documented and legitimately due because of the uh, structure of the agreement that we put in place. Sadly, however, the client never received an apology or explanation from the company for the inexcusable delays, inconvenience and sheer unprofessionalism on their part. Honestly, I doubt without my intervention with this particular client that they would have seen their fee returned in truth. In fact, I can go further than this and say that's for sure, because this is precisely what did happen with another yet separate client of mine with this very same property sourcer. In this case, he was offered a high yield property in the Northwest at a bargain price of £45,000 and a gross yield of 12.4%. Not too shabby, eh? Well, if you want the full breakdown of the numbers on this deal and why all was not perhaps as it seems and as it was presented, then make sure you have a listen to the podcast episode that was released on the 8th of August this year under the title, Just Say No. Some property deals I, I just would not do and why not? However, putting the numbers uh, aside for now, this is what was contained in the contents of the valuation report or the survey instructed by the client. Overall opinion. 
It is advisable that you think carefully before committing to purchase this property. <laughs> I've never seen that written before in a, in a survey. I guess we could just stop right there, couldn't we, to be honest? If you saw those words in a survey, would you proceed? I don't know. Um, I probably wouldn't. Although it might do, depends what they go on to say and if I can use it to my advantage, to be fair. But then it goes on to have description discrepancies. So the deal was presented by the property sourcer as a one bedroom apartment. When in fact, it's better described as a studio apartment because the, the bedroom was not really separate. There were concerns about the overall property condition and the local area affecting its resale potential. And this is something you have to sometimes read between the lines on. Concerns about the property condition and the local area. What is that really telling you? You know, read between the lines. Probably not the best of areas and the best of, you know, construction of property. And indeed, the uh, surveyor went on to say the suspected asbestos and also traces of damp reported in the building. Uh, two, two issues there that are going to cost quite a lot of money to fix. There, <laughs> this is amazing. There was no form of heating that was present. And indeed, it was refused, i.e. the heating was refused by the current sitting tenant. And this was being bought with the current sitting tenant in place. So you know you've got a problem tenant. You know you've got no heating. I think that's actually probably illegal. Um, so um, yeah, I'm not sure I want to get involved in this. And you know, to add, add to the whole situation here, the valuation given in the report was £40,000 and not £45,000. So significant down valuation. And the situation here is that this is also a deal introduced by this leading UK property sourcer that I mentioned. The client has probably been misrepresented on quite a few levels, as you can probably gather, and has sought a refund of their deposit and fees. He was placed, however, under some pressure or duress, to use the correct legal word for it, by one of the property sourcer's sales team to accept a slight reduction of £3,000 on the property price and proceed despite the additional problems highlighted in the survey. £3,000 wasn't going to fix it, in other words. It, the valuation alone was 5000 lower and there's still some of the costs that were uh, and, and problems that had to be dealt with too. Now, this pressure tactic used was suggesting that they would lose their sourcing fee and also the developer's reservation fee if they were to withdraw. So, you know, we'll give you a 3000 off if you carry on, but you're probably going to give, you know, I can't remember the exact figures, but it was at least £3,000 if they were to withdraw. So I think there was a bit of pressure that was put on there and um, the client um, you know, was persuaded, let's say, to carry on. However, the client did have a subsequent change of heart and realised that it was still a bad deal, even with this reduced price. And uh, he sought a full return of the fee uh, and obviously to withdraw from the transaction. But the terms and conditions do not allow the fee to be returned. This, this is the standard terms and conditions. And they're buried away in small print on a website, by the way. Uh, you can find them, but it's hard to find. And so uh, this, this statement uh, that you know, he reluctantly agreed to proceed, he got this in an email, was also turned against him. So, well, he did agree to proceed. So that was also used to beat him up, um, you know, in terms of not giving him his feedback. So it was a bit sad, really. The result, though, is that the fees uh, refund has been denied by the deal sourcer. And my client has learned a painful and costly lesson as a result of this experience. But if you contrast this from uh, this leading UK national sourcer with another leading national property sourcer company that I have had dealings with, um, 
I've had a similar situation, but had no qualms in them sticking to the commitments that of uh, that what we agreed in advance. That there are certain express conditions when a fee can be returned. And I can give you a list of those if you want to get into contact with me. But it's obvious things like things in a survey or uh, the significant legal issues, or if the um, the vendor withdraws. They're they're just the headlines. Um, you just get that inserted into the agreement, and then you get a little bit of protection um, in those eventualities. But in conclusion, not all property sourcing companies are an asset to you. The third situation, or first, uh, third horror story, is a UK BMV or below market value property sourcer. And this was a case of them choosing to remain silent <laughs> to uh, ensure that they completed on a sale and got paid despite a clear potential conflict of interest identified to them separately by both the buyer, which is me, and the seller. It turned out that the vendor, um, or the seller, told, told the property sourcer that they would only agree to sell for the price that I'd offered on the condition that the current stays, uh, sorry, current tenant stays in place. However, due to a tight timescale, I had insisted that notice be served on the tenant by the existing vendor and landlord, as my intention was actually to flip the property on rather than retain it. However, neither message from the, either party was relayed to the other one by the property sourcer sat in the middle. And this, of course, resulted in a very delicate situation to be handled with the tenant when they subsequently explained to me that uh, they had been promised uh, verbally and also in writing by the vendor that they could stay on in their forever home for as long as they like. And that was the agreement that was made with me. We were both a little bit shocked at that point, as you can probably gather. I had later managed to speak with the vendor directly um, and also the tenant in person to verify the information that was shared with them. I got copies of some correspondence as well. And when I confronted these facts to the sourcer, I was simply told that I could legitimately serve notice to the tenant myself. Well, whilst being potentially valid legally, it's not at all valid ethically especially when the clear conflicting intentions of the two respective parties, i.e. me and the vendor, were known and explained to them in advance but not relayed. I have since built a, a very positive relationship with the tenant though, and I'm in the process of refinancing this particular property to retain in my, in my portfolio a, a healthy return on investment. However, the change in strategy from FLIP to BRR, a buy refurbished finance, has meant that I've had to leave a lot more cash tied up into this pro project than I had planned to. So whilst I did not lose money, I have lost momentum as a result of me um, wishing to honour my pledge and my commitments uh, and, uh, and my integrity really with this particular tenant, who in truth probably needed a bit of a helping hand after some tough life experiences too. So. I kind of led a little bit with my heart, in all honesty, and maybe I could have gone a bit harder and uh, more legally and, and just booted them out and, and just gone ahead with it, but that's not really the way I operate, in all honesty. So, uh, yeah, it's cost me a few quid in terms of tying up in the property, um, but there you go. Um, at least this tenant's going to have a good landlord that's going to look after them for as long as they want to stay in the property. But again, let's contrast this with an award-winning property sourcing and training company that I'm familiar with, who maintain that everything they do must comply with all legal requirements and that full disclosures must, make, must be made between the parties involved. That's their stipulation, their, their, their stated values and commitments. So remember then that property sourcing people and companies 
are salespeople, and they get paid to proceed on on you know on, when we proceed on one of their deals, even if maybe some of the facts are not quite shared with you. So the fourth and final case study or horror story that I wanted to share with you is a case of a, an IFA or independent financial advisor and an overseas rogue property sourcer. So returning overseas again for this final case study, there's uh, quite a few years ago now and I used to have uh, an independent financial advisor or IFA that liked to offer, shall we say, some alternative investments. <laughs> and these included things like palm tree plantations, car parking spaces, and some overseas property deals too. But I was drawn to a, a no money down deal with a Spanish property where a bank had repossessed the property and were prepared to offer 100% finance on it apparently. To cut a long story short, the local sourcer operating in Spain, it happened to be British but it was operating in Spain, uh, that was introduced by the IFA, collected around £1,500 in fees from at least 30 different investors usually introduced by people such as the IFA. So we've got this chain thing going on, you recognise? So we've got the IFA, you've got the local source, we've got a chain. Um, so that was at least £45,000 that he collected and you probably know what's coming, don't you? Yes, he disappeared with the fees, never to be heard of again. The last I heard about it was the UK police were looking into it and pursuing him. But in all honesty, with each inv individual investor owed around £1,500, which isn't a huge sum of money for each person individually. I'm not saying it's an insubstantial amount of money to lose, but it's you know it, it's, there's a lot of hassle involved in getting that back. I doubt whether anything would come of it. And as I was not contacted by the police for any form of witness statement, it suggests to me he probably got away with it. But I was fortunate myself because the IFA concern did actually accept responsibility for the lost fee because they made the introduction to this rogue uh, sourcer. And so they, i.e. the IFA, agreed to introduce me into another property project where they would cover the introduction fees instead. It worked out okay in the end for me. I still own this uh, particular replacement property today, uh, which has risen in value significantly over time. However, I could just as easily have lost my fees and in the current climate, I am seeing fees of similar types of overseas investment amounting to more like 10 or 15,000 pounds as I illustrated earlier, rather than 1500 pounds. So the stakes are a lot, you know, they were a lot lower back then uh, with my deal uh, to what they could be today. Uh, I guess the moral of the story is twofold here. If you're not dealing direct with the vendor or the developer, then you're at greater risk of being scammed. So this chain, the idea of this chain, the longer the chain, the greater the risk. And uh, an IFA or an independent financial advisor with whatever title they've got is still a salesman at heart too. So just keep that in mind. So after all of that, uh, rather those rather sorry tales from, sorry, tales from myself and uh, from people close to me, what can we learn from all this? What can we take away and how can we put uh, steps in place to help protect our, our interests? Well, again, uh, as I mentioned previously, always do your research and due diligence on the people and companies that you plan to do uh, business with. Google through several pages on the company and the directors or the individuals if it's uh, an individual you're dealing with. Ideally, get independent referrals, recommendations and testimonials from their clients to help back up the sizzle of the glossies. Secondly, talk about how you like to do business. What are your values? What is your ethical position? And get the property sourcer to do likewise. 
In fact, it's usually a good idea to start with them uh, before you share what you're after because they'll probably just agree with you. Um, ask if they are direct-to-developer or direct-to-vendor. And if not, establish who else is involved, exactly who else is involved, what their role is, how they get paid, and who you would legally be contracting with. If you get a wishy-washy response to basic issues like acting with integrity or who is involved, then quite honestly, just run for the hills. Point three, remember that in the event of any dispute, the only safe way to protect yourself is to either avoid paying fees in advance or pay them into an escrow account. Or if you have to uh, pay them in advance, that's a lot of people do try and insist on that, then have a safe and enforceable, uh, sorry, enforceable fee return clause inserted in, in, <laughs> my words get all mixed up today, inserted into the agreement. I'm not even on the red wine, by the way. But don't work with those uh, that refuse to work this way, um, with that kind of professional legal protection is what I'm trying to get at. And the fourth point is uh, a, a Latin term, caveat emptor, which basically means let the buyer beware. Now, whilst property deal sources, agents, brokers, and intermediaries of various guises can offer a valuable service, there is a clear incentive for them to act in ways that can benefit them, perhaps at your cost, if you're not too careful. So always inspect the property or get someone to inspect it for you. Do your own checks on the numbers presented and get your you know, independent corroboration on the, on, those, uh, on the information, and also on the property. Get professional representation, set and get clear expectations, and have written agreements with adequate protection to you should things go wrong. To conclude, there are some good property sources out there, and I've had a good relationship with some of these over the years. Uh, as I alluded to earlier, I've dealt with them quite extensively and I've done dozens of uh, projects over the years. But clearly there are some bad ones or even some bloody ugly ones as well, if I'm brutally honest. I have my little black book should you wish to cross check against it. So let's just leave it at that for now. Get in touch if you want to talk about anything from today's show or anything else to do with property investing. The show notes can be found over the website at property, uh, propertyvoice.net. But you can always email me, podcast at thepottyvoice.net as well, and I'd be more than happy to hear from you. But once again, all I want to say this time is thank you very much for listening this week, and until next time on the Property Voice podcast, is ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.